Welcome to the Bitcoin Source Podcast, the ultimate destination for everything Bitcoin. We have a remarkable guest with us today, Scott Wolf, who is deeply committed to improving the health and well-being on a global scale and is also an advocate for leveraging Bitcoin for social, economic, and climate justice. We're eager to explore Scott's insight into this potential of Bitcoin as a tool for positive change. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Dado. I appreciate those kind words and that introduction. It's nice to be here. Likewise. So, Scott, um, you know, I, I'm always curious to know, like, where people source their Bitcoin knowledge from, how they got started. So could you kind of start off this conversation by letting people know, like, were there any books or conversations or courses that you might have taken to really get you started on your Bitcoin journey? There are books and, and resources that I've that I've sourced. I didn't start there. Um, why don't I just sort of tell you my Bitcoin story briefly, as as briefly as I can? Um, I think it's it's it, it's somewhat relevant to you know my my perception of how to engage you know the broader community of folks working in social justice and um, you know global health movements around around Bitcoin. Um, so I, I came to Bitcoin at some point in 2019, um, around 2018, 2019, uh, I'd made a personal decision to get a bit more actively involved in my personal finance. Um, you know, I, before that I, I been what I think is, is somewhat common among those of us who are kind of like center, center left in terms of our politics, working in not-for-profit social justice, it's an awkward relationship with money. You know, like it's there, we earn an income, we need it. It, it, it guides our daily activities, we plan for it, but, you know, there's an awkwardness about it, right? Investing, um, you know, growth, wealth, et cetera, have um, a feeling about, about them that, that, you know, we sometimes think like, oh, those are, th those are the things who think primarily about those things, who are preoccupied with those things, et cetera. Um, and at least speaking for myself, you know, that was my relationship with, um, with, with money, but, um, you know, it took more of an active interest in, um, in, in personal finance, investing, et cetera, trying to feel, what do I feel comfortable with? Um, what do I want for myself? What do I want for my family? Um, et, et cetera, you know, I came to, you know, do a fair amount of reading around, you know, a balanced portfolio and, and, you know, diversifying savings, et cetera. And, you know, came across this thing called Bitcoin, right? For maybe the second or third time I'd heard of it, but I thought maybe this is something that goes in a portfolio. So it was strictly from an investment perspective. It was strictly, you know, this is an investment. This is something that maybe has a number go up quality to it, et cetera. And so said, what could it hurt to buy a hundred dollars of this, couple hundred dollars of this, get to, get to know it. Um, and you know, as, as you know, once you've got some skin in the game, once something, um, is in your pocket, so to speak, um, you're going to take more of an active interest in it. And so from there started to learn a little bit more about it. Um, started listening to a few podcasts, um, and gradually came to, you know, realize that this thing was much more than I th thought it was originally. Um, I started out with that perception of, um, you know, digital money, digital scarcity, um, and that's where it stopped. Um, but as I started, you know, taking in a, a, a variety of, of, of podcasts, <clears throat> um, you know, came to appreciate it for much more. 
than it was. I'd say I started out in the podcast space, um, you know, listening to stuff from Sipley Bitcoin, from Swan, um, uh, taking in some videos from Andreas Antonopoulos um, and others. And uh, those were helpful in terms of understanding certain dimensions of Bitcoin. But I think what was still absent for me um, was a bit more, a bit better grasp of, of, you know, how does this align more deeply with my values? You know, is this, if, if this is an asset that has um, disruptive qualities to it, um, can disintermediate, you know, traditional um, systems and structures that um, have had a, a, a detrimental impact upon various populations. Like, really, what's the quality of this? And, and where does it fit in with the work that I do, um, the things that I care deeply about, um, people that I would consider, you know, in my network and community? Um, what's the connection there? And I'd say it wasn't really until I participated in um, the initial progressive Bitcoiners discussions that took place uh, about two years ago that I started to 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 connect with other folks who were were thinking these same things, and some of whom had spent you know much more time in Bitcoin and had a clearer grasp on the connection between. Um, Bitcoin and, and as money and how it can um, um, be a source for good in terms of uh, addressing wealth inequality and um, you know a variety of systems that 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 uh, um, you know produce social injustices uh, and it was sort of off to the races from there I kind of I, I, I kind of found my tribe so to speak. <laughs> Um, uh, and I should be careful in saying that because I think there's, you know, way too much tribalism going on politi politically. So uh, uh, what I mean to say by that is really just found folks who were really primarily focused in, with those same things. How does Bitcoin align with, you know, our perspectives of folks who are deeply concerned with and committed to issues of uh, social, economic and climate justice? And um you know, really my, my, the evolution of my thinking and the, um, the resources that I consume, uh, you know, uh, evolve from there. Yeah, that was awesome, man. It, uh, it's a great way to start the show. And, and really, there's so much to unpack there. Like, it makes me think about, um, you know, aligning those incentives, like you said, where um, when you come into Bitcoin, it's, it's weird. Like, you really find yourself falling into different categories of people some people are pugnacious some people are arrogant some people are in it for money and um we kind of align in the same spaces where you have people like john logan and other people in the space that really are looking to see how this can become a paradigm shifting technology to change the way that underserved communities healthcare is impacted um things that actually matter in our society and when I look at some of the things that you've done being an advocate for Bitcoin so far, it was only natural that I had you on this show so that people can actually see a different side of the coin. Because right now, to me, I think like the progressive movement is kind of booming in Bitcoin. Shout out to Jason Meyer. Um, 
And I think that that approach is really helpful for a lot of people that are on the different political spectrum. They're not far right or left. They're kind of in the middle trying to figure out why this is important. So, you know, having you on here, Scott, is, is going to be really instrumental to kind of pushing that to the forefront. No, thanks. I, I appreciate you saying that. And um, just in, in reaction to a few of the things that you, you, you said there, um, one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm most grateful for in terms of um you know learning about bitcoin and many of the folks has introduced me to is that um it's forced me out of you know many of my echo chambers it's caused me to engage with folks that quite frankly um several years ago i probably wouldn't have i probably would have dismissed on surface as you know those folks over there who care only about a b and c um and i think a lot of that happens right like we live in a highly tribalized um you know society economically and politically and bitcoin has provided me as i think it has a lot of others um an anchor and a means through which to have constructive conversations with folks <clears throat> whom on many other issues we you know may or may not disagree and 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 what i've learned through that experience over the past couple of years and i'm a work in progress right like we all come into bitcoin um with our with our biases with our perceptions of you know what's right and wrong what a good healthy prosperous society looks like or should look like and how to achieve that and a lot of that's attached to systems and structures that you know are outside of bitcoin we're democrats we're republicans we're conservatives we're liberals we're and and there's a whole the, the um baggage that goes along with those and we import those into our engagements but what i've come to appreciate more and more is that you know however this happened for whatever reasons and for whatever reasons this this continues to be the case you know, we inhabit this world where, um, where, where that tribalism has taken root, where there's a lot of coded language and where in fact, I think we have this percep perception that people are um, more different and disagree on more than they actually do. You know, it's sort of a, a, um, a line that I've been been using just to kind of reflect where I'm at is I, I I think I've come to see and appreciate. I don't want to overstate this, but you know I think probably about eighty percent of people can agree on about eighty percent of things. Um, you know, fundamentally, like first principles, what you know, what is fairness? What does you know, what does a a, a healthy society look like? What are our general um, principles, et cetera. There's a lot of stuff on the margins that we're going to disagree on, but I think a lot of people can agree on the same sorts of things. A lot of, most people will agree that, that, that something's broken, right? Or that many things are broken. Um, um, our political system, our economic system, our, 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 our policies are just not working for the majority of us. Um, our, our sense of what it's going to take to fix them will differ. But we fundamentally agree on that first principle that things are broken, right? And I think we fundamentally agree on um, what fairness or a better, 
you know, a, a, a better distribution of resources, a healthier society would look like. How we get to those ends is, you know, subject to discussion and debate. But if we start there and we try to engage in constructive dialogue, you know, I really think that the majority of us are somewhere in that middle. Um, and, and, and I attribute my ability to see that better and to kind of commit to inhabiting that space and trying to, you know, promote constructive dialogue to Bitcoin. A lot of the folks that I've engaged through this and have disagreed with on, you know, certain social issues, but then we unpack it a little bit, you know, appreciating that, like, you know what, we're not that far off. Um, let's, 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 let's spend some time trying to unpack this a little bit further and let's start from where we think we can agree. And let's build from um, build build from there. And I think that's something beautiful. That's something magical about um, you know about the the Bitcoin ecosystem. I'm really big into people kind of capitalizing off of the skill sets they already have outside of Bitcoin and intertwining that into the ecosystem. And I wanted to ask you, Scott, like, how do you see the integration of Bitcoin contributing to the efforts of community health centers in addressing local um, social and economic, you know, things that might envision the Bitcoin's impact on healthcare systems, for example. Mm -hmm. So let me start by, by, by describing community health centers a little bit for those who might not be familiar with them and just my role. So I'm currently the executive director of the Canadian Association of Community Health Centers. And I also spent some time as coordinator of our International Federation of Community Health Centers. Um, so working both across Canada and, and globally and, and with colleagues in the United States um, uh, as, you know, sort of a, a member association for these community health centers. So the way I like to sort of introduce community health centers for, for folks who may have zero familiarity with them is just to, um, you know, relate it to um, someone's connection around like day-to-day -day healthcare. You know, people will understand like access to a family doctor or a nurse practitioner or something like that. Like when you have a, you know, when you want to go for tests, when you're not feeling well, um, you know, most people connect with a family physician. So the idea of, and that's what we refer to as primary care, right? We have a primary care physician, a primary care a nurse practitioner or other provider. Well, community health centers really take that idea of having access to a routine care provider and build upon them from our understanding that, um, A, um, it takes a team of people to support individuals and there are people with different skill sets that can, you know, uh, uh, which are, you know, differentially able to give us what we need at a given time. You may not need a physician. You may need access to an occupational therapist. Uh, if you've got some sort of injury, you might need a counselor, uh, a social worker. Um, you don't need a physician to, you know, do day, day to day um, shots, right? Like you've got, an, you've got nurses and we have other practitioners. So it's the idea that team-based care is better than individual care. Um, so really community health centers um, provide individuals who are able to access them, access to a team of care providers, say like the right care by the right provider at the right time. Um, but beyond that, it's really acknowledging that 70% or, or more of the factors that um, influence one's health or lack thereof are outside of the healthcare system, right? Are what we call social determinants, right? That's access to housing, income, income disparities, 
um, language barriers, food security or food insecurity, et cetera. So community health centers integrate services and programs that address those factors for individuals, families, or communities um, that are generally disproportionately affected by them. So a community health center might be located in a community with um, lower overall um, general income, um, a community that might be a food desert, meaning like there's not access to, to nutritious, affordable foods, where there's a scarcity of adequate housing, where um, education um, uh, or lack of access to education is, is an issue, et cetera. All those compounding factors that result in someone's poor health. Community health centers try to take sort of an integrated approach to that. So it's really about taking a holistic approach and um, trying to focus on how we um, how we how how we produce conditions for health, not just treat illness. And so I think from my perspective, there's an incredible alignment between Bitcoin and sort of the system thinking um, and trying to disrupt broken systems and structures, uh, uh, um, an alignment between that and um, sort of the approach of community health centers, both kind of cut against a dominant paradigm. Um, you know, community health centers sort of stand in opposition to, you know, traditional, you know, fee for service, five minute uh, doctor's appointments where it's all about episodic care. Um, doesn't matter if, you know, you um, don't have the income to, you know, make dietary changes when you're diagnosed with diabetes. It's like that this is the, <laughs> you know, this is the diagnosis. Good luck to you. Right. Um, we know that doesn't work. Um, people need supports. And similar to taking, you know, a you know, the way community health centers um, stand in in contrast to that sort of um, episodic treatment only or treatment focused care, Bitcoin stands in opposition to traditional financial systems and monetary and fiscal policy that um, you know don't get us very much as as people that that um, create tremendous barriers and that I would say perpetuates um, inequities. Um, and so I think that there's a philosophical alignment between community health centers and, and, and Bitcoin in terms of like standing in opposition to or in contrast to an inherited system and inherited structures. Um, in addition to that, though, you know, what I would say and, and, and where I try to lead when I talk to some of my community health center colleagues, although it's a very slow go in terms of trying to engage around Bitcoin, is that like we're focused on social determinants of health. We're focused on the causes of causes, right? Not just uh, providing a, a, a treatment for illness, but to trying to disrupt systems that produce illness and systems that don't allow people to, you know, get that fair shake and, and, and achieve health. Um, those are the social determinants of health. That's housing. That's like I, I described earlier, food security, et cetera. We spend all these time, this time trying to set up programs focused on these remedial programs to address these factors. We spend a lot of time engaging policymakers around housing policy, income support uh, policy, et, et cetera. What I've come to realize, I, I believe, through Bitcoin is that we're still operating downstream 
that we need to move further upstream and Bitcoin lives up further upstream. It's, it, it is the, it, it's the broken money. It's the broken monetary and fiscal systems that actually um, largely produce these downstream causes such as disparities in access to housing, wealth inequality, um, food insecurity, uh, etc. And for far too long, um, and understandably, we've been treating those as the upstream causes. They're still further upstream from, you know, that patient or client that you see in the clinic or that, you know, uh, participant in a program at a community health center, you know, who, who has a medical condition. Um, like the housing and inqu- income inequalities, are, those are still further upstream from their medical condition. Those are still further upstream from a lot of the lifestyle behavioral aspects um, of one's um, uh, health status, but they're still downstream from the money, you know, to put it, to put it clearly. And that gives me tremendous amount of hope, you know, that in fact, there is this untended to area of activity um, that, that if we dedicate more time to, we can actually have um, a greater impact by reducing those disparities in, in housing income or access to housing income, uh, food security, um, et cetera. So that's where I'm trying to take the conversation um, with anyone who will listen, working in, you know, the not-for-profit world, um, with, whether it be in the area of community health, whether it's settlement, newcomer and settlement services, um, you know, housing support services, mental health services, et cetera, is, is, you know, let's pause, let's consider that, you know, that there's been something missing in terms of our, the focus of our attention and let's, you know, take that dive. Let's learn about money. Let's learn about economic and, uh, fiscal policy and systems Let's restore, you know, a true understanding of political economy to what we do and not just have a sociological, cultural, um, you know, and thinly veiled economic, you know, analysis of like social ills. Let's, let's, let's go further upstream. Let's do our homework. Um, and let's figure out how then we, we incorporate what we've learned into the work that we do. And I, I think we're, you know, really just at the outset of, 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 of that. I'm, I'm looking for takers. I'm looking for collaborators, um, you know, folks who want to engage. I'm a student myself, you know? Um, uh, so I, I wish I could report that, you know, there are, you know, these amazing ways that I've been able to incorporate Bitcoin and Bitcoin education into the work that we do. Unfortunately, not yet. I'm at that point, I think of understanding that I now know what the actual questions are. I don't have the answers yet, but I know what the questions are finally. And so trying to figure out how it is that we, you know, build a, a, a cohort of people globally who work in spaces like me and community health um, uh, and other social justice movements and, and you know, um, what the next steps are. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if you've been aware of this, but like, you being Canadian, I'm I'm in America, so I'm only seeing this from the other side of the coin. But when you talk about 
um, universal health care, for example, Canadians kind of have the benefit of having that as kind of a given if you're a citizen of the country. But on the flip side of that, when you tie in Bitcoin, I've been seeing this trend lately of um, there's a woman that was crying on Twitter. She makes like $40 an hour in Canadian dollars. Um, she has free health care, but she can't afford to pay for groceries. The inflation rate is so out of control in Canada right now. People are actually online saying like, I'm ready to move. I'm ready to move to America. Not saying that it's cheap here either, but these are things I've never seen before, like coming out of Canada. And I'm like, Canada, I love Canada. I've been to Canada a couple of times. I'm like, Canada's always, people are super nice. Country's pretty clean. Cities are clean. I mean, lately within the last year or two, it's been getting crazy there, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Like Bitcoin is needed more than ever in Canada. And it's just insane that people that are making decent money can barely keep their heads above water because of the inflation rate. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the access front or on the healthcare front, you, you know, uh, yes, I think having access to universal healthcare, having, you, you know, a, a, a public insurance scheme is, is important. I wouldn't trade it for the U.S. system. Um, uh, as much as some people would like to suggest that, you know, privatization is, is the answer. But what, you know, I spend a lot of time with American colleagues working at community health centers. And one of the, 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 um, one of the, the, the most common questions is why do y'all need community health centers, right? Like you have universal healthcare system because in, in the U.S., you know, there are over 10,000 community health centers throughout the country, um, often referred to as like federally qualified health centers. They were originally funded out of the war on poverty in the 1960s and are funded under um, uh, Department of Health and Human Services um, and have historically been to support the medically uninsured in the U.S., like folks who don't have anywhere else to go. Um, and, you know, there's some, there are people who access um, using, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, um, uh, some who are uninsured um, altogether. All but that's the general perception is that community health centers are, are first and foremost for the, the medically uninsured or underinsured. And so it cut, that cuts against the idea that like we would have community health centers in Canada uh, because we've got a universal system. Um, and what I, you know, uh, remind them is, is coverage does not equal access, right? Just because you have a, a, um, a, a, a public insurance system doesn't mean that the system uh, and the structures provide access to the types of care that people need in the places that they need them. Um, uh, doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get access necessarily to a doctor in the community that you you live in. Doesn't mean you'll you'll get the right services, um, etc. So there's a distinction between insuring access to services so that you don't you know so so that you don't have to present a credit card to put it you know. Um, crudely when you, when you show up for, for, for healthcare, um, when you've got to have an operation, et cetera, the distinction with that and the actual service delivery, um, mechanism, what do I'd say? We've got a lot of work to do on the service delivery mechanisms in, in Canada. It's not the public insurance system. It's not universal Medicare that's broken or uh, what we call our, our universal healthcare system, Medicare as well. It's not the, 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 the insurance system that's broken. Um, it's really the way that we deliver services. And so we need to get services closer to where people live in the community. Um, you know, 
shifting uh, investment from larger institutions towards the community, um, doing a better job at preventing illness as opposed to investing the lion's share of our money in um, structures that are focused on treatment of illness. Community health centers are, are part of that. So like there are broken systems um, there at, at, at play. And, um, you know, I, I think that that can be um, carried forward into like a, a social commentary in general about Canada um, that, you know, I, we've got, uh, I, I would say that we've probably got broader um, social support systems here um, than, in the, than the, in the United States. Um, when you look at education, I mean, the subsidy of education and, and the percentage of people, you know, carrying massive debt coming out of uh, university education is much lower in Canada than it is in the United States. Um, the disparities between, you know, access to decent public education, um, uh, those are lower here than they would be in the United States. So the, 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 the sheer inequities aren't as stark as they are in the United States. And I'd say, you know, a fair amount of that is attributable to, you know, our social infrastructure, our public infrastructure. Um, but we're still sus subject to many of the <clears throat> larger systemic challenges that result from broken political systems um, and with, with poor incentives and broken monetary and fiscal systems. I mean, uh, we are, you know, printing money in, in, in Canada, just as y'all are in the United States and have been, we're on the same trajectory um, in terms of underlying causes of, of, of inflation. Um, we are, are kind of victim to the same political, uh, broken political systems where we run on these short cycles um, where all of the incentives uh, for elected officials and, 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 and candidates vying for office. Um, things are, are highly centralized through political parties here. So you've got like a, a package of policies and, and, and positions that you as a conservative or liberal or new Democrat in Canada, um, need to stick by very little, um, uh, free thinking and independence and locally specific um, um, you know sort of policy orientation so highly centralized through political parties uh, and then these short political cycles where you know very soon after one election you're in campaign mode um, again and um, while we don't have the you know egregious levels of money involved in politics in Canada that y'all do in the United States, those things are still an issue here. Um, and people are incentivized to think short term. Um, you know, how does my education or our education policy, our housing policy, our policy on economic development um, sell from now until the next election? Not necessarily you know, the sort of longer term thinking and planning that's, you know, necessarily to, to build um, robust systems and structures and to um, uh, 
and, and, and to build a healthier society that we, that we need. And so um, from one government to the next, whether it's at the federal level here or at the you know, provincial level, our equivalent of the state level, um, you know, short-term thinking, it's, you know, as the Bitcoin world is, as we would say, high time preference, right? Um, politically and the terrible incentives that go along with that. And so I think we're, we're, we're stuck in this situation where um, they're, they're, they're major problems to fix, but the political vehicles we have to do so um, are running counter to the solutions that we need. Um, similar to the United States, you know, it, 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 it's far more rare these days that you'll see cooperation across, you know, partisan lines. Or if you do, there, there's a, you know, a, a, a very biting political calculus to it, right? That it's not about cooperation for the greater good. It's, you know, it's something that's been, um, <clears throat> that's been calculated in the political war room as what's most advantageous for the advancement of, of the party and the, the ideology, et, et, et cetera. So, yeah, you know, costs are, are rising here. Um, um, you know, we have a central bank that continues to manipulate um, money supply and, and present rationale for inflation that, you know, cuts in the, 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 the face of, of what we know are to be some of the, you know, true major causes uh, of, of inflation. Um, we have inflation figures that are, that, are, that are cooked the same way that they are in the United States. Um, and we have this, you know, we have this evolving problem, these evolving problems that we just can't seem to fix through our political processes. And so people are catching hell. Um, you know, mortgage, those who are, are fortunate enough to own a property um, are getting squeezed through, you know, higher mortgage rates now, cost of food, um, cost of all sorts of other consumer goods, day-to-day -day, day goods uh, are, are increasing um, and at a minimum plateauing at higher rates, all the while, you know, real wages haven't, haven't increased at all or, or, or much. Um, and people are hurting and, you know, what we get in response to that from, um, you know, all political parties, quite frankly, are caricatures of, of, of who's responsible and, you know, how they're going to fix this if elect, if elected, um, most, if not all of which is, is, is politicking and not really grounded in, in. Uh, I think what, you know, many of us as Bitcoiners would appreciate to be, you know, some of the root causes of, 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 of these challenges. Um, and I think that it's that diagnosis, like whether you're a, um, you know, whether you're on the left or right uh, uh, side of the political spectrum, I think we can agree as Bitcoiners, you know, in the diagnosis of these broken systems and structures, you know, our, our, um, you know, the, the challenge we have in front of us is to figure out how we talk to each other to figure out, you know, where can we agree on what the solutions are and how can we influence uh, policy? Um, I mean, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself.
In today's fast-paced digital world, showing your support for the things you love doesn't have to break the bank. With just a few seconds of your time, you can help us at the Bitcoin source by liking our content, subscribing to our channel, pressing the notification bell, and leaving a comment with your thoughts. Every interaction helps us to grow and improve, and we are grateful for your support. So if you are a fan of our content, take a moment to show your love and help us to continue to deliver high-quality, informative content about Bitcoin and the world of cryptocurrency. Your support means the world to us, and we can't thank you enough for being a part of the Bitcoin Source community. Now back to the episode. Yeah, th- thank you for that, Scott. That was a lot to unpack there. But um, like, what about you know, looking ahead about your visions and your aspirations for the intersection of Bitcoin in Canada. And how do you think that this enhanced integration will be better for the global betterment of Canada as far as the way that Canadians approach Bitcoin? So let me again, like say that, you know, I'm a student and, um, you know, the way that I approach all of this or try to in any event is, you know, from that, I, I love that meme, you know, stay humble, stack sides. And I think, you know, too many of us um, approach that as a 50-50 kind of proposition. To me, that's a 90-10 proposition, like 90 on the stay humble, 10 on the stack sats. So really trying to approach it from, you know, from that perspective that um, I think more of us need to study Bitcoin. And that's my, you know, proposal to friends, colleagues, the general public is I'm not telling you to buy Bitcoin. I'm not telling you to store your wealth in Bitcoin. If you get to a point where you want to have that conversation, fine, but please study Bitcoin because it's an entry point to, you know, a myriad of important topics that I think need to be better understood. Um, Formulate your own opinion, but, you know, um, I see it as an entry point to a, a renewal um, within society of like civic education around topics that are immensely important um, to you as an individual, but to us as communities and us as a broader society. So um, I think to the extent that we can get that message across and, and encourage people to, um, you know, dip their toes and, 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 you know, to figure out why is it these crazy people are so interested in Bitcoin? You know, what is it about it? Why are they talking about it? And why are they talking about Bitcoin and energy and Bitcoin and the climate and Bitcoin and addressing wealth inequality? And like, isn't this this like silly digital money that that that, you know, is 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 laughed at and scoffed at when I, you know, turn on the news or or turn on a sitcom where they insert it as, you know, a, a you know, to 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 advance a punchline kind of kind of thing. So, I you know, I think if we can get more people just to study Bitcoin, whether they decide to hold it or not, or, or not, whether they agree that it's something for them or not, I think it can be a, a really important tool for civic renewal. Um, so, I mean, if we were to achieve nothing but that, what a victory, right? Um, I've gone far enough down my learning journey, though, as I, you know, as as you could tell, as listen, listeners will be able to tell, that I do believe it plays um an important role um and and that it does provide us the opportunity to restore value to um the arena of decision making um about what we want as societies 
um, where we agree we should spend our collective resources, what we should be taxed for, um, you know, and how those tax dollars should be spent, um, about our place in the world as countries, as communities, um, <clears throat> etc. Et, et and, and that it will, you know, if, um, you know, if, if, if Jeff Booth's thesis is, 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 is correct, right, around the, um, the importance of, of um, a deflationary, um, you know, asset about everything um, achieving greater value and being more affordable through as, as technology progresses and as, that's, uh, as it's attached to a, um, you know, a sound uh, unit of, of, of money. Um, and I'm probably doing a terrible job of, 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 of explaining that. So my apologies to Jeff, if I am, um, um, that, you know, it provides a signal, you know, again, um, and will hopefully lead to the, the definancialization of, of things in the world right now, or restoring things like housing closer to their utility value, as opposed to being speculative investment assets, um, which just, you know, cause this spiral um, in society where no one can afford the thing that they, one of the things that they need most, right? Because it's been so heavily financialized that, you know, it's now an investment asset and not a tool for, you know, for, for, a, for good living, for for a healthy, a healthy life. Um, so I really think by restoring value and signal to to money and decision making, because there will be a consequence. You can't just um, 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 pay old debt with new debt and continue to do that. That there's sort of a, a final you know, stopping point, a, a decision point that we can actually like get back to having constructive conversations about the kind of society we want to, we want to build and making hard decisions the same way that any of us would, you know, in a household, you know, there's only so long that we can pay visa with MasterCard, right? There's only so long that we can kick that can down the road before the lights are shut off and, 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 you know, we're bankrupt. Similarly, you know, we've got to get to that point of reckoning as, as societies. And, and I think some people will mistake that or could mistake that for, you know, a call for austerity and, and cause often that, you know, get that point gets, um, gets presented as, as a self-serving conservative tool, right? Like, oh, we just can't afford things. And that's code for, cut funding for education, cut funding for social services, etc. Et That's not at all how I mean it. What I mean is really just being able to have constructive social conversations about how we make the best use of the scarce resources that we have as societies. And if we're going to invest in education through our public dollars, and if we're going to invest in a healthcare system, if we're going to invest in, in housing, et cetera. How do we do that most effectively, most efficiently, so that we're actually getting what we deserve out of our dollars and that people can feel that like, hey, yeah, I'm paying 25%, you know, income tax or more, but I feel like I get value for it. And I'm not just, 
you know, feeding the coffers that are then used as, you know, the prize at the end of, you know, a toxic, you know, political battle and are going to just going to be going to be used towards political ends by whomever gets into office. Um, so I, I really do think that by increasing adoption of Bitcoin and moving towards a Bitcoin standard, you know, again, we can restore value and signal um, and actually get back to the drawing board as societies in terms of figuring out like, okay, this project of building a healthy society where, you know, each generation does a little bit better and where everyone has opportunity. How do we, how do we do that? And here's how we're going to pay for it. Thank you, Scott. That was an awesome, awesome conversation about um, just your perspective and the way that you approach Bitcoin. And I think that I have, ironically, a good amount of Canadian listeners. So I've had Greg Foss on here. I've had some other Canadians on the show. So people do tap in from Canada. So I think I think that your perspective is really going to be far reaching for a lot of people. But um, before we go, could I get you know your social media handles, if you have any, and any future endeavors that you might want people to know about? Sure. So I'll handle the second one um, first and just say, stay tuned. <laughs> there may be a couple of things in, 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 in the works, but I just in general, I'm looking forward to, you know, to, or look, or look forward to, you know, constructive dialogue. I don't necessarily need to agree with folks. I, I mean, I have, I'm having regular, you know, up in Canada, I, I would vote. I'm typically a liberal NDP voter historically. That's where I've, you know, found a home, um, which would be kind of, you know, like Democrat, Democrat, progressive, uh, progressive Democrat le leanings for for U.S. audience, um, et, et cetera. But you know, I, I've had such brilliant conversations, and I've had my mind opened uh, so much by you know engaging with my conservative, you know, colleagues up here have ongoing conversations on a number of topics. I'm a student learning. Um, so that's what I look forward to most. So uh, if, if there's something about what you heard here and you uh, are a disaffected, you know, Republican uh, in the U.S., a conservative, it said it was like, I want to challenge you on that. Or, hey, what do you think about? Then, like, let's talk. Um, and just as much if you're someone who, like, who... Uh, for whom, you know, a lot of what I said resonated and, and you're like, yeah, um, you know, I, I, I get it. I'm a progressive Democrat and whatnot, but let's talk too. So just in general, let's talk. You can find me at uh, my, my Twitter handle is uh, Scott A. Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. I'm on Twitter for amounts. So it's Scott A. Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. Um, and a shout out um, uh, to folks to you know, connect with me on Noster as well. I can't read out my public key, obviously, for, <laughs> you know, because it's a big, long series of, of, uh, of, of, of digits, but um, you can find me on, on Noster. And I would encourage listeners, if you haven't yet, create an account on Noster. Let's move a lot of the conversation um, over, over there, free open source um, social media platform uh, with Bitcoin integrated. Um, Let's do that. So yeah, please hit me up, and um, I, I, you know, glad to have this uh, this platform to hopefully connect with a, a few additional folks. And um, thanks, thanks so much for for inviting me on, Dadu. Really appreciate it.
Most definitely. Once again, thank you, Scott, for joining us today on the Bitcoin Source, a Bitcoin conversation. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, man. Take good care.